Welcome to season three of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, Esports 101, Building a Business. Over the past year, we've talked with many esports professionals around the world. Our audience knows how to play games, and now they're eager to level up their skills in the business arena. This season aims to equip every esports entrepreneur with practical and useful knowledge to achieve success. Think of it as a mini course, Esports 101. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, where we talk about how esports can create jobs anywhere in the world. In season one, we talked about jobs. In season two, we talked about um, follow the money. We talked about investment. We talked about sponsorship. And now in season three, we're talking about business basics, esports one-to-one. Really glad to have today, all the way from Sri Lanka, first guest that we've had on the podcast from Sri Lanka, we have uh, Amila Patharana. I, I just I just mangle people's names there every time, but uh, but uh, welcome, Amila. Thank you, thank you, Tom. Uh, pleasure to be here. Could you could you could you uh, give your name so that it sounds properly? Yes, let me let me pronounce it. It's Amila Patirana. Let me repeat it, repeat that again. It's Amila Patirana. Great, great, M- much better than the way I was mangling it. So, uh, so where are you speaking to us from? So I'm currently based out of Sri Lanka. Uh, it's an island nation based out, based in the Indian Ocean, uh, just south of India, uh, the Indian continent. So, um, what's what's the esports world? What's the esports scene like in Sri Lanka? Yes. Um, so, esports have been in Sri Lanka for I would say over a decade. Uh, there's an organization called Gamer.lk who started the esports and the gaming community in Sri Lanka. It was a not-for-profit organization who came together to, you know, have the competitive gaming coming into Sri Lanka. Uh, unfortunately, Sri Lanka being where it is at the moment, it's a, it's, it's a relatively smaller country. It only has a 22 million population uh, and we are about 64,000 square kilometers. But out of that 22 million, about almost 6 million people live in Colombo, which is the city that I live in. And in terms of um, the competitive esports space, it hasn't evolved into like say in US or in Europe where we have uh, publishers coming into the country and organizing, you know, league level tournaments. We haven't had it. Uh, we've been organizing our own tournament specifically through the uh, Gamer.LK community as well as in terms of um, the Sri Lanka Esports Federation. In Sri Lanka, in a way, we are very advanced. So esports is actually a national sport which was registered a couple of years ago. And so it's recognized as a national sport within the country. But I also think we've had, uh, in terms of infrastructure, investment challenges that uh, has kept us holding back in terms of growing esports as an industry within this country. So, so what, what brought you into esports? How did you get into gaming? Oh, yeah. so Because uh, oh, we always like hearing the people's very first, you know, uh, um, uh, the beginning story of how people got yeah. into gaming. Absolutely. So uh, when I was growing up, I remember uh, I had an uncle who who used to live in, or he still rather lives in Japan, and he gave me one of those Game Boys, and I just fell in love with that. From there onwards, went on to you know nag my dad to buy me a PC. I remember getting like a Pentium two, uh, and then like you know modding it, getting graphic cards, going through that whole journey. Uh, and then I had few friends that we would do almost like you know. Uh, I can't say really underground, but like almost like, you know, secluded gaming, like, you know, just like literally like spending 
I don't know, six hours, eight hours, 12 hours for a day where the parents would look coming for us and saying, hey, you know, what are you doing? You know, this is not what you're supposed to, you're supposed to be studying because Sri Lanka is, is a very, how do I say this? Culturally, we have certain norms, you know, when you're growing up, you're like, yeah, you have to be a doctor, you have to be an engineer, you know, you have to be this, that, but gaming was never part of that consideration. I feel like my parents still don't know what I do in terms of of my job, <laughs> the kind of industry that I'm involved in. Um, all what they felt was this was something that kids could get addicted and then would ruin their future. Right? That's the kind of you know perception they had. Uh, so we kind of had to do it uh, sort of under the sly. And uh, so played games like, you know, starting with games like Quake to like Doom, uh, then going on to like, you know, play things like, you know, uh, God of War, the first generation on, on, on PS consoles. Uh, so I've been a lifelong gamer. And uh, in terms of a career, um, I used to work for one of the multinational uh, chip manufacturing companies and then used to be part of, uh, you know, we used to do sponsorships around esports and gaming. Uh, that was the sort of like formal uh, uh, engagement I started having in terms of the gaming world. And and then what happened was when I was transitioning from that career, I started working for an organization called MAS Holdings. Uh, and then MAS has a very, so MAS is a large apparel manufacturer based out of Sri Lanka, headquartered out of Sri Lanka, but having global presence across, I would say about 17 countries in about 50 facilities. Uh, but luckily for me, there was an opportunity for me to go and present the MAS uh, board uh, in terms of the opportunity in gaming and esports. And then we proposed something saying, hey, you know, this is a rising industry. And MAS also has a very clear mandate in terms of understanding what is going to be those future opportunities. How do we capture them using technology? And that kind of fell in line with what I was proposing. And then, you know, for the last five years, I've been working on Gamertech, which is a fully funded startup of MS Innovation Private Limited. And we've been working on building uh, wearable solutions for gamers to a couple of things in terms of sustaining their careers, uh, improving their performance, managing their wellness. Because as you would have noticed, you know, gamers tend to spend a lot of time in front of a screen. Uh, with that comes a lot of different issues like your repetitive strain injuries, leading to tendonitis, leading to severe cases like carpal tunnel as you get older. And then also like, you know, bad vision due to, you know, being exposed to the screen too much. Uh, yes, you're compromising. Gonna, well, I'm going to get into this in a lot more detail because yeah. I think what, what you're doing is, is, is super interesting. I mean, and it's, yeah. it's an area that I was not that familiar with and I want to become more familiar with. One of the things I wanted to go back to though is Sri Lanka yeah. is, is a manufacturing, a, a apparel manufacturing hub, isn't yeah. it? I mean, isn't, um, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, for the size of the country, we well, said there's only 22 million people there. There's like, that's like all yeah. of Southern California, but it's like, yeah. um, but it's like, you know, so much, so much here, so many, uh, of the clothes that, that we see yeah. here in the U S were made in Sri Lanka. And it's just like, wow, from this little, you know, relatively small place. So, uh, yeah. so that's why I thought it was interesting that it was from that industry that was already, that is already established and growing that you were able to find a place in there that, that, um, that, um, includes gaming. And so what I kind of wanted to hear about was, uh, and you were alluding to it a little bit, I think, but why, why do you think that they, um, they went with you? Why did they, when you, when you talk to them about doing things in gaming, doing things in esports, 
how did how were you able to convince them? Because that's always a, a big a big trick to this, and that's a story that I always want to be telling over and over again. Is okay. Here's someone that did it, and this is how they did it. So how did you yeah. convince them? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was part of the the journey I was going through. So I kind of I mean, like from a, as a Sri Lankan, you know, we we never really got the chance to really compete. At least when I was growing up, we never got the chance to really compete. Uh, maybe even in a, in a regional level, right? No matter how good we were, we had bad connection. We had maybe outdated hardware, so it never was never really a good good combination, right? But yeah, we we never lost the passion. So we always wanted to do something in gaming and esports. While it took a while for me to you know find an organization who would at least listen to me in terms of this opportunity, uh, but when I found it, uh, it the interesting thing was uh, when we we also go through a very specific research process, right? And then uh, all. The, all the credit goes to MS in that sense because they they were very scientific in terms of finding opportunities. Uh, we sort of look at what are the rising markets or like what are the market problems or the consumer problems that exist in the world. And then we do research to find out how big this problem is, if there's a problem that, you know, that is, and whether it's been either underserved or unmet. And then can you solve those problems by using technologies that's available at MAs, right? So I kind of found this to be very interesting, very intriguing. And what we did was, um, me as the founder of Gamertech, it wasn't originally Gamertech, right? The, what we sort of felt, oh, there's 3 billion gamers across the world. I think by the, at the time we started, it was like just like, you know, 2.5 billion, like, you know, post-pandemic, it's like, you know, 3 billion plus, like, you know, suddenly it just boomed. And, um, and what we realized was that you know, gamers tend to spend a lot of time in front of a screen and almost putting their bodies through similar strain as an athlete who would do a full contact sport. Like, say, for example, you know, if you run, you know, you're going to have a whole set of issues. So that's why people created specialized running shoes so that you have a race day pair of shoes, you have training shoes, different types of shoes. Uh, you take something like, say, mixed martial arts. You have, like, you know, boxing gloves. You have, you know, lightweight gloves, you know, open finger gloves, you know, different equipment that enable those athletes to, and even not just athletes, right? The casual users to, you know, prevent injuries, you know, get better at what they're doing and improve their health, you know, all these different aspects. So similarly, when, when I started working with MAs, uh, what I understood was that they were looking at opportunities. And then in my head, gaming was one of those big opportunities that exist. How do I connect the traditional apparel world and use their technologies to bring solutions to gamers that are purpose-built? And one of the things I also realized when I started this journey, specifically looking at you know wearables and advanced apparel solutions, that most of the time people didn't or the, the creators of the products didn't spend enough time understanding the game of pain points. And just to give you a perspective, we when we started this journey, we spoke to most probably, you know, more than 600 gamers, you know, just to understand what do they do? What are their pain points? What do they, you know, what do they consider as issues that they face? Uh, then spend about another, you know, quite a few months really talking to them, you know, spending time with them, uh, working with these sports doctors in the US. This is even before we started the whole journey of creating Gamertech. What we realized was there were four big issues that uh, came up. One, one was in terms of handheld. Because you're going to have tendonitis, stabilization injuries, you know, carpal tunnel in most extreme cases. Then you also have posture issues because you're going to sit in awkward positions, you know. 
at the time when I started this journey, gaming chairs were not a big thing. They were just coming into the market, right? But then, you know, because of posture, it became a big thing. Uh, then vision was another big issue because you tend to, you know, stand to the screen, not getting enough sunlight, not looking at enough greenery, makes you, you know, having all sorts of eye conditions. And then also a certain level of non-communicable diseases related to bad lifestyle because you tend to binge game plus binge eat leading to, you know, poor health. Um, and out of those four bigger problems that we identified, two of them could be easily solved using existing technologies and then, you know, adding, you know, sort of combining technologies that existed within MS. Uh, handheld, we realized that we could solve it with soft goods. When I say soft goods, it's to do with apparel solutions, using technologies like passive compression, uh, heating, cooling. And these are elements that were used from the traditional sports space. And then can, can you explain, like, could, could you explain what compression is? Yeah. So compression is, uh, so <laughs> you, you have your Venus system, right? So Venus system is your circulatory system. What compression does is when you sort of have less circulation, compression enables you based on the way how you deploy the compression device enables you to improve your circulation. So if you're going to be seated for hours and hours, your problem is that your circulation is going to get hindered, right? Because you're kind of, you know, not moving your body around. So can we use compression to improve that circulation? Then we also know that heating technology also can help you with circulation because usually uh, any sort of chronic pains you have, you address that with heating. And if you have any sort of acute conditions, like say, for example, you knock your knee somewhere, you use ice so that it reduces inflammation. So it's the same with gaming. You have like a heavy gaming session, you use you can use rice, which is rest, ice, compression, maybe not elevate because it's particularly on the hand. But again, these are like things that we noticed from the traditional sports space and we wanted to apply in, in the gaming and the sports space. How we matched the dots were that, you know, they suddenly had a guy who was talking about this within MS organization who was talking about gaming, you know, this is a big opportunity. And I think they believed in me when I went and initially proposed it. They also saw the passion that we had. Uh, it was not just me. It was myself and another colleague of mine called Tarak. So he's the guy who came up with the technology solutions, whereas I looked at the consumer problems. We then kind of married the two. And we went to uh, MS uh, investors and said, hey, listen, this is a big opportunity. Uh, we believe that we can solve this problem by using MS technologies. means that it will create a future growth opportunity for MS in time to come. And we want to go after this market opportunity. That's how we started. But our values are that what we really want to bring to the table is that we want to help gamers level up. And that's what Gamertech is all about. We want to give them equipment. We want to give them solutions that's going to improve their performance. That's going to help them experience the game in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, very immersive way. And then also manage their long-term wellness. Because I like, and I think a classic example is that it took a while for, for, you know, Context sports to introduce headgear because they didn't consider, you know, having continuous knocks on their heads is going to be, you know, bad for their health in the long term. And I think that's the sort of point that gamers are in at this point because you have more and more people coming into this space. Plus, you're going to compete at a much higher level because, you know, I mean, like just you and I type at a maybe at a rate of say 100 to 200 actions per minute. These kids will go between 400 to 600. What we are going to get at the age of 40, 50, 60, they are going to get it much earlier and then you're going to have all these physical conditions. So we want to bring solutions that's going to enable them. And luckily for, for us, especially for me, there's a 
uh, there's a company who believes in, in this opportunity, who's investing into this uh, to really enable us to take it to market. Because I think as a startup, the biggest challenge I would have had at that point was that who's going to believe in what we're doing, especially being based out of Sri Lanka. And then also like, you know, invest money into us to, you know, enable something like this. And then also give us the technology platforms. Because I think if, if we had to go out on our own and in the, the same technology that we are talking about, one thing is it would have taken much, many, many more years. Uh, wouldn't have had the guidance that we are getting at this point with MAs. And then also the resources to, you know, develop, manufacture at scale in time to come. So I think that's the sort of, you know, secret recipe that we managed to bring together. So because, I mean, like, honestly, like when I started talking about this, um, I don't think they understood fully what it was. They knew there were certain numbers that they've seen on, you know, mainstream media. But they didn't, they didn't understand, but it, part of our, our success was that really convincing them and then really giving them evidence that it is something that can be obtained, capitalized upon. And it, I understand that, you know, as a startup, we want to grow, but we also want to make sure that we stick to our values and bring something that's really gamer-centric. For us, what we really believe in is that if the gamers believe that this is going to enable them to be better, I think that's the biggest win for us at the end of the day. And, and that's how Gamertech came into play. And then also because of what, yeah. And there's just there's so many different things in there that are really good uh, stories to tell. But one of the things that, that kind of sticks out to me is that you were, you knew when, what problem it is that you wanted to solve. That it, so it's like, and, and once, once you had that figured out, then it was like, okay, how do we make this happen? How do we find the money? How do we you find the partners and, and, and yeah. so on? And I want to ask you about, uh, because I noticed, you know, on your website, there's, you have certain partners you have yeah. so, uh, and you have certain, um, uh, teams, I think that are working yes. with, with you. Correct. How, how do you find those kinds of partners to work with you? Yeah. And, and then how do you, how do you sell them? How do you, how do you make a deal with them? Cause one of the things that, cause one of the things most entrepreneurs are out there, whether it's a sponsorship deal or whether it's who knows what, or even getting a great player or something, it's like, yeah. how do you find the deal? And then how do you close the deal? Do you have any yeah. hints for how to make that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And I, 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 I'll go back, go back to my experience, right? So what happened was when I, when I started this journey, I think most of the people didn't take us serious you know uh, like not just in terms of like you know it, it, because like it's it's it, i still believe you know a uh, lot of people don't really sort of take this serious because they think ah you know especially at that at, if you're not a gamer you're like oh this can't be true you know some of the comments i, I get sometimes it's like oh i can't believe you know they 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 need gear like this uh you know i can't believe that they they compete like this and i think that's also to do with a lack of education, understanding what gamers go through. Um, and for us, in terms of when we started looking at working with partners, what we did was we tried to understand who are these partners out there. We mapped the whole ecosystem out saying, okay, you take gaming and esports, who are the people who's in this space, right? We mapped it out. And then what we understood was that there's so many different organizations. You know, you have the game publishers, then you have the esports organizations, then you have the peripheral companies, then you have, you know, all the software guys. Like, and then you have all this, you know, a whole mix of, you know, uh, partners that's available to you. And what we did was we like, okay, so who's going to be our immediate target audience? You know, who's going to help us, you know, enable us to take the product to market? 
who's going to be our long-term partner. So we, we were like, okay, so we're going to start from point A. Okay, these are our partners that we want to focus. We're going to park the rest of the guys. And then the next question was like, so now we've identified, you know, a set of people that we think that's going to enable us to take, you know, discuss about this product, get their views, get their inputs, iterate, and then, you know, how do we take it to market? And what we did was we started looking at, okay, so where are these guys going to be, you know? And then we understood there are different gaming conventions that uh, these some of these partners are going to be at. Uh, they have publicly available information that we can reach out to. LinkedIn was a great tool for us to, you know, connect with people, right? And I, and I think those are like, for a startup, for an entrepreneur, there's an amazing set of free tools available across. And obviously, you know, beyond a certain point, you have to pay for certain things. But we started, you know, really tweaking how we approach people because we had a very clear focus effort or rather a focused viewpoint in terms of these are the partners that we want to go after. And we also started looking at how can we enable them? It's not about us trying to sell them something, but it was more about how can we enable you to be a better, better organization? How can we give you an opportunity to capitalize? The belief there was that if we enable them to do something better, then they would want to work with us. So that's, I mean, that's the sort of values again, Gamertech was built around. And with that, Esports organizations that we reach out to started responding to us. We mostly wrote to them via LinkedIn, emails, you know, met them at conventions. And, and to my, how do I say it? Like, you know, to my, you know, it, it was kind of mind blowing. Like they actually started responding saying, Oh, you guys are actually solving a problem that, you know, we've been facing. My star player is out of commission. He's not going to be coming back for the next six months because he's having severe, you know, uh, wrist and, you know, joint pain. And I was like, wow. So what the research that we did, spending that time understanding what that market was about, now suddenly you're connecting dots with these people saying, hey, you know, and they're like, oh, wow, you guys have built this already. You know, why didn't anyone else think about it? Those are the com- the comments we were getting. We were like so encouraged. That's like, wow, we've kind of, you know, figured out a mix that's going to work. And then I think, so that was the sort of like, you know, initial interest. And then the sort of closing part of it was like, hey, you know, we want to enable you. We want to give work with you. Then we would do some product testing with them, get their feedback. We also kind of made them part of our product development journey, right? Because the Magma Glove, what you see on our website, has gone through many different iterations from the time it started now. And then the next generation, or rather the commercial version that's going to come in, is going to be totally different. It's like worlds apart. While the form factor remains greatly the same, the functionality has changed. The aesthetics have changed the sort of combinations have changed. So it's been going through this evolution and that evolution was enabled with those partners that we initially connected with and they've been part of the journey. And I think that's how we sort of looked at converting them. I'm mostly oversimplifying the process that we go through. It's taken many hours, many meetings, many discussions for us to come to that point. And then I also believe that they believe in what we were doing. And they felt that this was a good fit and that we should work together. And uh, I'll have a big announcement coming in within the next few months. Uh, we, are, we are signing one of the bigger teams, uh, you know, for Gamertech. Within the next few weeks, there'll be an announcement coming in. So, And and then we are sort of like, you know, covering different genres. We were, and then we already have Oxygen, Wildcard, Singularity 3. You know, Oxygen already is, is one of the top esports teams based out of North America at the moment with franchises, with uh, Overwatch and Call of Duty. But we are getting someone else, you know, even bigger. And it's, it's, it's been a very exciting journey. And what I, what I really feel is that it's, it's about paying attention to details. It's about 
it's all it's for me it's always been you know how can i help you solve something rather than me saying this is what's going to work for you, you know and that's the simplest way i can put it across you know it's always been you know i don't want to come and just do transactional based business but it's about building a long term relationship and that's how i would you know put it across to you oh, and that's why i mean you've significantly improved your chances of success just doing, just having that kind of approach. Cause that's what I kept hearing you talk about all through what you were describing was that you were trying to figure out, you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of the other guy, the other side, instead of saying, well, we've created this glove and, and now we're, we need to convince you that you need it. It was like, okay, what's that end problem? Who are the guys that are, who, who, who are the teams out there? Who's out there working on this, tackling this right now. And how can we be a part of that? It's just, that's um, no, no, I, uh, I just think that's a real winning um, strategy that not everyone gets. It's because so many times what, what, what I've seen is people get so married to the product and it's yep. just like the product cannot change. And if, if that's your approach, unless you have the perfect product, you're going to be in, you know, for a world of hurt later yeah. on absolutely absolutely and 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 also i think there's again there's credit that goes to mesa as well because they come from a manufacturing background right and yeah i'm a person who wants to jump into a into a into a problem and then you know do like you know crazy things and i think they've also kind of groomed us in a way that hey you know yes good to have a great product but you need to think about these things, you know, this is what we bring to the table in terms of the learning we've done and had it for the last 30 years. So I think apart from that, you know, mindset, the, the combination of, you know, the, the investors, you know, the resources I've had, you know, in terms of uh, access has given me a tremendous, you know, uh, viewpoint in terms of connecting these dots. And I think that's, why I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful to be in this situation. You know, uh, I don't think many of us get a chance to, do what you love as a job. And that's exactly what I'm doing. It's about living that dream at this point, to be honest. You're right. Not, not very many people can say that. And so when, yeah. when it happens, it's like, that's, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that's always good. I want to talk a little bit here about uh, the gaming insider. Yeah. What, what, what's up with the gaming insider? Yeah. I, it, it's a new startup that I'm doing. I'm, I'm actually doing it on my own. Um, so gaming insider, what I also realized was within the last, so many years, you know, I've gained a lot of insight around, you know, how to, you know, approach a product uh, problem or a consumer problem. How do you convert that consumer problem into a product solution? How can you take the product solution to market? How do you connect those product solutions with potential partners? Uh, so I kind of want to create Gaming Insider as a platform to enable more Sri Lankan businesses to get into the esports and gaming world. And I kind of, and then I, I believe there are other, uh, startups like myself who's out there who might not necessarily have the same skill set or the knowledge or the experience that I have. So gaming inside is more about how can I enable other organizations, you know, look at similar opportunities and then leverage my knowledge that I currently have. And uh, that's why I kind of call it gaming inside. It's almost like, you know, having this, you know, secret knowledge of, you know, going after a market opportunity that didn't exist before with a customer segment that we haven't had any interaction before. And how can I enable, you know, other organizations to, you know, have similar successes. What I believe in is like, you know, the, the world is big enough for all of us to, you know, really 
you know, create very unique opportunities. But it's also about not overspending. It's not about overthinking, but really, you know, paying attention to what happens in the market, understanding from that, and then really, you know, getting, uh, getting those solutions out. Uh, that's how I was sort of looking at it. And that's what Gaming Insight is all about. It's, it's about enabling, you know, again, from market research, you know, developing product, uh, you know, hypothesis, then converting those hypotheses into solution, testing and validating, and then taking it to commercialization. So that, you, that was, yeah. Can you talk a little bit? Uh, one of the things that always fascinates me is, is yeah. market research. Because yeah. if, if, if you keep bringing it up, and I think yeah. rightly so that it's something that's super important that people need. And I think it's really misunderstood exactly what it is and how it's done. Because if you were going to do it here in California, you know, I'd have a pretty good game plan on how we could do that. But yeah. around the world, it, that's, it's, there's not the same opportunities there. So when you talk about market research and there's some place like uh, Sri Lanka, how can you yeah. do that effectively? Yeah. Uh, just saying that for now, I'm going to just plug in my power. Please. All right. Yeah, in business. Um, yeah, so I think with the internet, with the recent tools, with the recent introduction of, you know, tools like AI and all that, uh, you know, I think there's a tremendous set of tools that you can use to do conduct secondary research, right? Um, I think tools like Google Trends, uh, you know, even Google Keyword Searches, you know, it kind of gives you an idea about what people are searching for, right? Um, I'll give you a classic example. Uh, when we started this journey, we looked at, you know, what are the gamer pain points? You know, like one of the things like, ah, you know, game of thumb, you know, uh, then uh, what do you call all these different things. And then you you kind of need to train your brain in a certain way. How do you take that second information and then translate that into certain, you know, problem statements, right? So that's like the the, the very beginning starting point for us. Once you do that, then what we also do is that we make certain hypotheses around, okay, this might be a potential, you know, persona that we are looking at, you know, and we might say, okay, you know, our hypothesis is going to be around, you know, it's someone who's between 15 to 25 years of age, you know, probably living in US, uh, you know, probably, you know, uh, going to college, you know, playing. And then what we do is that when we sort of have an idea like that, either then we look for consumer research experts based out of different geographies that we are interested in. We also look at, before I get into that, we also look at a lot of different statistics for us to understand. Uh, we access reports from Statista, Newzoo, you know, YouGov, all these, you know, different platforms. Either it's free, or we also sometimes pay for some of this research. Then we understand, you know, where, where I think you spoke about when you introduced your uh, podcast about where the money goes. We kind of look at it from that lens to understand what's happening where and where do you have critical mass. Once we understand that, then we kind of get into primary research. And to do primary research, we work with experts on ground. We talk to different, you know, research agencies if we have to we use online platforms. And then we sort of, it's almost about developing a hypothesis and then try to validate. That's the kind of research that we always end up doing. Because sometimes, you know, we, we can do a lot of research, but you'll not necessarily have a solid outcome because you didn't define the sort of problem based on, you know, what you understood. And say, for example, if the hypothesis get validated, they're like, okay, so that's, that's good. So we move on to the next phase. But if it gets disapproved or, you know, it, 
it didn't get validated. Then we look at, okay, so what was the difference? You know, there's a hypothesis. There's a now an out, outcome. Then we try to understand what's the difference. Then we kind of, you know, come up with something else. So it's kind of like a design thinking process. We go through an iterative process to understand this. And that's why it's like, these are like mostly very different elements that's been brought together very specifically to, you know, uh, sort of, you know, bridge that knowledge and then understand how do we address those consumer problems. And that's how I approach research in that sense. Um, and again, start with secondary, the cheapest, the fastest, and then you'll go into primary research, which is costly, more, more time consuming, but gives you, you know, the first hand insights you need. Yes. Yes. Cause I think one of the things, one of the things that can help esports organizations sell sponsorships yeah. is if they had market research on themselves and on the potential sponsors so they could they could go to, into sponsors and match up hey our audience is you know more it, one of the things that always struck me here in the US for example uh, someone yeah. who who goes to esports events is more likely to buy a new car than someone yeah. who doesn't go so it's like well so who do you talk to you talk to the car companies but how do you get how do you how do they how do you get their attention what you show them the stat statistics that hey it, this is we can bring you a market that is more you know statistically more interested more likely to buy a car it's like you know, are you interested in that is like sure go you know and and go from there yeah. so your clients for um gaming insider you're looking for business b2b clients within the within the country or, um, or are you looking yeah, so around the world um i i think it's it's because my experience is such that, you know, I, I've now worked in the U.S. market for almost five years, uh, which is very interesting, right? Being totally based remotely, you know, and like, you know, building these relationships. So I think uh, the approach, I would say global in that sense. And, you know, uh, and I think, yeah, so I, my original idea was that, you know, how can I help Sri Lankans, you know, get into the international market, but it's evolving because I'm also realizing that it's not just Sri Lanka who have the same problem. Um, and like, this is also based on like, you know, some of the questions I've been getting in the past, you know, like every time when someone asks me a question, it almost instantly becomes, uh, you know, he's asking because he has a certain problem, you know, is there something that I can do to, you know, help them and, and, uh, and, you know, and that's how I was looking at it. Uh, so I would say it's evolving to like a more global audience. And I, I think I'm also very clear in terms of segment, you know, it's, it's, you know, startups, you know, it's, it's small to medium companies, you know, because I think large organizations have a lot more resources and assets that they can deploy to do a, a, a similar approach. But this is about how can I enable someone to, you know, be frugal, be mindful, and then, you know, avoid the mistakes that I made in the past. It's more in terms of, you know, education and enabling them to, you know, get capture, capture an opportunity that they think that's going to be best for them, you know, and, and for me, it's more in terms of an enabling, uh, enabling approach with Gaming Insider. It's, it's, it's almost like a knowledge depository, you know, and then I also have like other colleagues that I've built relationships over the years with like, you know, who has like tremendous experience around gaming, especially in, in terms of esports organizing, you know, starting an esports organization, selling it off again, you know, starting another one and then, you know, getting investments and then, you know, getting franchises. All sorts of, you know, like the full spectrum of, you know, esports, uh, and gaming related aspects. And so I think those are the other resources that I also can enable, make connects, you know, as I said, it's a, it's, it's more of a genuine effort to really enable everyone, you know, because it's almost like me following my dream of, you know, 
doing something that I love? Can I enable others to do something similar? Because I'm assuming I'm not the only person who kind of have that same vision. <laughs> yes. yes. In, in the bottom line, I always, I always tell people, I always try to remind people, it's like what we all do is some way related to playing games. And so yeah. it's like, you know, how, how bad can it be? You know, I mean, if, if it's not fun, then, then, yeah. then we're probably not doing it right. Yeah. So I yeah. wanted to talk and, to you a little bit about, sorry. No, I was going to say like, you know, I, I, like, I, I, like I heard once a wise man says, you know, we, if, if you say we are playing games, if you are trying to make money, that's not the business you're in, you're in the business of people. And I, I think I truly believe in that, you know, this committee is such a fascinating committee and it's all about people. It's, it's, and you know, product and everything becomes secondary because you kind of start connecting and then like, you know, the solutions will follow. And that's what I want to yes. put out there. Yes. Yes. We're going to talk for, for um, a little bit about Stadia Ventures because yeah, we've yeah. come across people before that have been a part of Stadia Ventures. And it's always been really interesting to hear what it is that they do. And because I think so much for what I hear you talking about really fits into what, what they're doing because you know, yeah. as far as helping other people um, uh, live their dreams, help other people create – their their business give them a framework yeah. so could could you tell us a little bit about what stadia ventures is what it does and then what your role is there um yeah so i i, I was in initially involved with stadia ventures because i was looking for some seed funding right that that gave it, uh for gave it, uh we had some discussions around uh and i think this is pre-pandemic that we engaged uh and then and at that time i think ms wasn't sort of looking at you know, external investments, but I felt like, you know, it's good to have a conversation and see what it was. And then what enabled us, enabled me to do was that I kind of had the opportunity to be part of being a judging panel. So Stadia Ventures is about, again, a accelerator program that, you know, you kind of, you know, have different startups coming in, they fund it, but they also kind of have to go through your, you know, pitch day. You kind of need to come in or rather the demo day. And then you have a bunch of judges who kind of look at it and then give comments saying, you know, is, you know I think this is going to work. This is not going to work. You know, this is something you can improve, you know, things like that. So in a nutshell, Stadia Ventures is, is a program that would accelerate your business, but also have external resources coming in to give a very independent point of view as a judge. And I think that's, that's why they were, you know, very interesting. You know, I've, they've had some really superb startups and I think there's quite a few other programs as well out there, but this was very interesting because they were especially looking at, you know, gaming and esports related ventures at the time I was engaged with. Uh, at the moment it has, my engagement has become less because of, you know, the priority in terms of uh, getting Gamertech ready for a commercial launch by the end of the year. Uh, so yeah, it's, there's been a lot being cooking in the, in the background actually with uh, what's going on with us at this point. So w when you were working with people at Stadia Ventures, when you're working with entrepreneurs there, what are the yeah. kinds of problems that you, that you saw were coming up repetitively that you could say, yeah. okay, we can help you because we know that there's these these three things that almost everyone could use help on, and so what are the kinds of things that were the the, the biggest wins, the simplest wins when when someone at Stadia Ventures is is coaching someone that that's that's coming in or, or wants to come in. Um, so I think when you're when you're an entrepreneur, you know, like you become an entrepreneur because you also have a third mission, right? It's like I think I am like. If you take an organization, you have entrepreneurs and their professionals, right? I think I have a slightly different, uh, 
approach because I've been a professional and then become an entrepreneur. So I kind of have like, you know, but when you're coming from entrepreneurial point of view, it's about that, you know, vision and the opportunity you have. And most probably sometimes your vision might not necessarily the uh, matching with the time you're coming in. It might be either too early or it might not necessarily have the right infrastructure for you to commercialize. I, and, or like, you know, you might not necessarily have the right market yet. And I think with a program like Stadia Ventures, I think one of the unique things that they were bringing together was that they sort of, you know, enable judges like us to come in and then look at those opportunities and tell them or rather rate them saying, you know, okay, this is good, but it might not necessarily work now. So you kind of had like a, you know, you could, you know, give different comments, you know, and all that stuff. I think that's the interesting part. Sometimes you, you might have the best idea, but you also need to be grounded because, you know, it, you might end up investing a lot of money. You know, you might have, a, you know, and I, like, let's be honest, you know, out of every 10 startups, only one or two succeed, right? For that simple reason. And I think the way you're going to increase your success is by, you know, really asking those hard questions, asking, you know, really laying the foundation. So it's about, I don't think it's about failure, but it's about learning. And then, you know, really, you know, using a pool of resources to sort of, you know, guide you in the right direction. It's not about changing that vision, but it's about enabling you to achieve that vision by doing those little check or check and adjust so that it, it sort of, you know, get to its, you know, final destination. And, and I think that's, that's, that's what fascinates me as well, because I think similar values and and then they sort of you know enable you to you know go through those iterative process get you demo ready and then you know get you in front of investors which i think is phenomenal because i mean like most of the time if you're a startup if you're an entrepreneur your biggest hurdle is you know how do i get the cash or the funding in how do i spend on product development how do i pay the people you know who's going to stick with me you know those are like the anxieties you're going to have right and and, and i think that's that's something like maybe the two or three things that I think that would really enable a startup working with a, with a program like Sadia would be like, you know, because of the, the mentorship that they can give you, the outside perspective that they bring to the table, as well as, you know, getting you the, the funding, which is not exorbitant, but understanding how much you need to make something very impactful, right? Sometimes, you know, projects fail because you have more funding and you end up spending a lot more money, but then you have over-engineered the product or the solution. And then you take it to market, it might not necessarily resonate because suddenly you have a very expensive product, has very use, less utility value for the amount you're going to pay. And then you suddenly have a, you know, failure. You, you might have the best of product, but it's, I, the past has shown us that, you know, you, people, you know, want to pay something that they believe that it's worth the money, right? And, and the difference between that perceived value and the price point is, how you sort of, you know, position the product and the, the way you're going to enable the product. In my head, the more utility value you have from a product or a technical solution, the more people are willing to buy something like that is what I believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, <clears throat> one of the, uh, one of the, the best spots to be in is probably to have enough funding, but not, not too much funding. Yeah. So it, yeah. it makes you be a little, cause who's more creative than someone that doesn't have any money? I mean, they're the yeah. ones that are, that, that, that you really have to look out for because they're, they're, uh, those, those are the, the guys, the, the men and women who can do, uh, amazing things. One of the things yeah. I also, uh, 
we also keep hearing from a lot of investment bankers and people in, in startup, uh, startup world is that people are really investing in the founders more than yeah. the concept. It's like you want, you, 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 the, the concept may be really good, but the con- if the founders are exceptional, it's like, okay, we want to work with them in the long run. <clears throat> Could you talk a little bit about what are the kind of traits that successful founders have that that people could identify. Yeah. Um, so most of the founders, I mean, I, I think it's it's being someone who's gonna not gonna take no for an answer, right? Because like you know, being in a startup is so hard. You know, it's like you know, you go in front of someone, you're saying, okay, this is what you're doing. They're gonna shoot you down. But it's almost like that. You know, never give up attitude. I think. Uh, one of the things that I would look for is like, you know, what's your attitude? You know, are you, are you someone who's going to get like, you know, frustrated after the second, third, fourth point? Can you go on for like, you say, hundred times? And I think it's, um, it's almost like when, uh, Thomas Alva Edison, you know, uh, invented the light bulb. And I think, uh, maybe like about after like some, maybe couple of thousand times he figured out, uh, you know, this is like, you know, now I figured out, you know, so many ways that it could fail means that it could only get better. And I think that's the kind of attitude because if you're going to be an inventor, if you're going to be a startup, it's almost like your attitude has to be almost like, you know, so positive that you believe in so hard, no matter what happens, you're going to go for that end goal, right? And I think that's that's what differentiates uh, an entrepreneur from an average person, right? Because it's that belief, the attitude that's, you know, and I think that's what people are looking for, right? Because the the world where we are now is that, you have so much of technology, you know, at your fingertips, just like that. For you to come up with something unique, yes, it might take some time, but you still can do it, right? But unless you don't have a person who has that vision, who has that attitude, perseverance, that product will never succeed, right? And I think that's why, you know, the the investment bankers, the the funds look for people who has that vision, who's willing to, you know, put the midnight oil. Uh, and I think it's, it's also, I, I personally feel like, you know, people like us enjoy that because like, I, I mean, I, I'm going to be very honest with you. I was bored most of the time with the corporate structures that I used to work at, you know, I was like, Oh, it's the same thing day in day out, you know, like there's nothing challenging, you know, you, it's, it's almost like process driven at a certain point, which makes me bored. And what I love about what I'm doing at this point is like, you know, I get to experience new things. Um, I used to think about myself as an introvert, but people keep saying I'm a very much of an extrovert. <laughs> but I also think in a, in a way that I, how do I say it? I sort of draw energy from talking to people, you know, being with people. Um, like even when I have lunch, I sit down with my whole team, have lunch, we crack a couple of dry jokes. The reason is that we are in a such a stressful environment, but we have to keep breaking the ice. And, I, and it's part of, and I, that's why I said it's attitude, perseverance, you know, that you know that you're not going to give up uh and it's going to be painful you're going to have so many failures and you should be able to take a punch in your face fall you know not get knocked back but you have to you know get up and keep going and i think that's what's going to make the difference and no matter how good your product is going to be you don't have someone who's going to drive it product itself is not going to do it and then i think that's where the biggest difference comes from uh, and i think that's why mm-hmm. yeah one of the things i hear you talking about is the team yeah, it's like, and when I'm picturing the way that you work, I'm just guessing here, but I'm, yeah. it's, it's, I'm pretty sure that's accurate. 
you have a team around you that you really like working with. Yeah. So, so you, you enjoy, and, and one of the things I'm always telling people, it's like, you know, if you surround yourself with bozos, with clowns, it's like, it's on yeah. you. It's like, that's, yeah. it, you get to, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you get to choose who you surround. You don't always get to choose your clients, Yeah. but, but your team is, is all on you. How do you create the, the kind of team that you like working with? Yeah. So my, actually my team is expanding. We are, we are actually getting more people in because of the kind of works. But so when I started, um, my tech, uh, so my co-founder, you know, yeah, we are kind of like almost like worlds apart, right? Um, you know, I want to, you know, do things in a, in a rush. He obviously wants to do things. He understand my viewpoint and I understand his viewpoint. So we, because he's a tech guy, I, I wouldn't like, you know, I wouldn't let him handle tech on his own. I would always sit with him on his tech conversations. He would always sit with me on the business conversation, right? So that was the starting point for us. But what we realized was that we had so many different ideas, you know, different approaches to the same problem we started combining those and when we started expanding the team what we also did was we were looking for people who had a similar attitude who wants to go out there you know who wants to get things done who's motivated by what we're doing like one of the first questions we asked anyone who wants to join our team okay so what do you play uh, in which platform you know what was the and, and the reason why we asked that is like first we need to understand you know do you even like you know believe in what we're doing right that's like you know and, and, <laughs> and then, um, once they come into the team, what we also do is that, you know, everyone, one of the things I always tell the team is like, listen, you might be the most junior person. You might be the, you know, most senior person, but we all have a equal opportunity. We also have an equal voice here. Uh, because you're junior doesn't mean that you can't come up with ideas because you are, you know, senior, you don't have to hold anything back, you know, be open, you know, let's build something together. You know, we are not, you know, you're not going in your own direction. I'm not going in my own direction. It's all about us moving towards a common goal. And I always try to align this because I believe that, you know, if they understand what that end goal is, that they will follow that. And the next piece that I also do is that I enable them to take ownership. You know, uh, I enable them to, you know, take risks and enable them to, you know, make mistakes. And obviously we will have a hard conversation around those. But having said that, it's never going to be helpful. You know, it's never going to be held against them in, in a personal level, right? It's about learning from those and improving yourself. And with that, I've seen people coming a long way. You know, when, when I've had like, you know, junior people starting with us, you know, like, and then also like there's a slight generational difference, right? You know, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I have like, you know, kids who are like, you know, 23, 24, 25. We also have, a, you know, a little bit of a difference. And sometimes and I, I feel like I'm the kid and they are more mature than me. That's also because the kind of, you know, the culture we try to inculcate, like, you know, we don't want to, you know, we want to enjoy the work we do, but not, I mean, it is stressful, but you know, how do you sort of, you know, uh, thrive in that stress? And, and those are some of the things. So building that team for me, the vision has always been is that enable the team, hold them accountable, give them ownership and they will, they will start delivering, you know, it's not about, you know, monetary value, but it's about, you know, being, you know, proud about what we do. It's about owning that, you know, and I, what I always tell them is like, you know, I don't think this as a job. I think this as us changing the world. I hope you're part of that journey. I want you to be part of that journey, you know, because I, I can't do it on my own. We, we all can do it together. You know, that's the kind of, you know, uh, discussions we always have. You know? And I, like, I, like, I, like, let's be honest, you know, COVID was tough. Uh, funding was cut, cut from what we were doing, but we still, you know, 
went on doing what we were doing. You know, we were like, you know, like we had like barely any funding, but we still spoke to people and said, listen, you know, we want to do this. We want to work with you. And they're like, hey, you know, we like you, you know, because you are, you're not giving up, you know, you're not, you know, saying no, you know, like let's, let's do something. And, and, and that's, that's what really matters, you know, from the team point of view, you know, like it's, and the, and the, the worst part about, you know, being in a startup is like, you know, it's not like a set structure. It's not a set organization. You almost always find a problem, you know, like every other minute, every other hour, you know, and uh, if you don't have a team who's going to like, you know, really own it, it's like, hey, don't worry. I'm going to get that sorted out for you, you know, it's my, I'm going to sort it out. And it's like, you know, and it's like super nice to hear. Like, it's not like sounding like, oh, you know, it's broken. Now I can't fix it. It's your problem. It's like, it's never been the case. And you know, I'm blessed to have a team like that. And, you know, it's a, it's a lovely team and it's also a very diverse team. You know, we have people who are very uh, refined, laid back, but open up, you know, when, when we are around and then we also have like, you know, very, you know, outgoing, you know, very talkative, you know, like, so it's like, it's, it's almost like, you know, have like a very contrasting team and what binds us together is, you know, we, that we are moving towards a common goal. And I think that's what everyone believes in within the team. Of all the people that we've talked to here <clears throat> over the past three seasons of this, very few people enjoy their job, enjoy what they're doing as much as you. I mean, I just, I just get the feeling that you just, you just like what you're doing. And if you didn't like what you were doing, you'd find something else to go do that you like to do. And, and that's, that, uh, to me, that's just such a, a great philosophy, a great way to, to, to approach things. And it's so easy to say and so hard to do, or everyone would be doing it. So, uh, <clears throat> so, so that's really good. No, I'm really gl- glad we had a chance to talk here. So, you, so what's up? What's up with you for the next six months? You said you have some other big news coming up that you, you can't talk about now, but, but yeah, what are you going to be doing in the next six months to change the world that you can't oh, yeah, talk so about? I, yeah, I, yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to launch the Magma Glove with, with the team in November. So we're going to be at eSports Awards, uh, in Vegas in November. So we're going to have our first product launch, uh, at a grander scale, uh, happening in November. And then after that, so that'll be mostly like unveiling it to the, uh, you know, the, the eSports partners. And then we will have the products ready to commercially be shipped out in beginning of Q1 next year. Uh, so that's going to be my main priority, but I'm also trying to work on a couple of products in the background, which I believe that can, you know, uh, either change, uh, you know, the way they are going to immerse themselves within games or, you know, how they're going to enjoy gaming. I'm trying to sort of democratize accessibility to technology and then also like, you know, trying to see how I can also work towards meaningful insights with the kind of variables that we are working on that might be a little bit longer play, but, uh, we do have a vision. We do have a roadmap. Uh, and I think, uh, as we move forward, all those things will slowly be, you know, unraveled. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm super excited by the future that I'm kind of envisioning with my team and then the sort of solutions that we want to bring to the table. And honestly, even though we, we kind of work on the gaming and esports space, some of these solutions might be for day to day users, you know, and then I think uh, a lot of us post pandemic, you know, you don't have to game, but we do like a lot of online calls. We are still, you know, some of us are working from home, uh, having the same issues as gamers. So I think, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see how things going to evolve as we move forward. No, I think it's going to be interesting to, to, to see where, see where you end up here. 
Uh, yeah. uh, see, see where your journey takes you. So what's what's the best place for people to find out more about what about you and what you're doing? Yeah, so you can visit me. You can connect with me via LinkedIn. It's uh, Amila dot uh, on LinkedIn, and then also you can visit us at gamertech dot gg. Uh, the website itself will go for a revamp towards the end of the year. We are redoing some of these assets, and then also if you want to access me via Gaming Inside, it's GamingInsider.gg is the website and you can directly make an appointment with me for a time slot. Uh, happy to jump on a call. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I want to be there for the people, you know, if you want to reach out, you know, connect, uh, might have a lot of things going on, but you know, if we can find five minutes to chat, uh, nothing like, you know, working with the community, connecting with each other, sharing knowledge. You know, I, I really enjoy doing that quite a bit. Yes, this has been great. Hey, really appreciate your time here. And really appreciate everyone listening to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. So thanks again, Amila. Yep. And thanks for having me, uh, Tom. And so thanks again for watching, uh, for listening to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. See you next time. All right. Bye-bye. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded and so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at gamerschangelivespodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.